Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Uh, where it remains to be very cold. And even uh, now in June, of course, it's uh, to be expected in June. It's uh, June gloom. Yeah. Meanwhile, the economy is still not uh, not in a place that makes us happy. And uh, that said, what we're going to do today is we're going to go back uh, to some basics by taking some questions on an Ask Buck show. Uh, I should point out that you can definitely participate in this still. If we get enough uh, questions, I'll do another show shortly. Uh, go to wealthformula.com, and when you get there, there's a little thing where you can record questions uh, it's an ask buck thing and you can a uh, actually record questions or you can actually email them in as well. You can just email me at buck at wealthformula.com if you'd like. And uh, we can get those questions answered if they are something I can talk about. Now I can't necessarily talk about, you know, specific investments and things like that, but I can, I can certainly, you know, do broad strokes. Um, anyway, that's what we're going to do right when we uh, get back from these brief messages worried about saving too little too late for retirement the wealth accelerator may be exactly what you need with the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country wealth accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly and what if the stock market has a bad year no need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. 
And uh, today it's just me, like old times. And uh, we're going to take questions from the audience. There's actually no audience here in my room, in my office here. But I'm going to take questions from you. And we'll start with a question from Mike. Mike, here you go. Hello, Buck. It's uh, Mike Kay from Melbourne Beach, Florida. Uh, I was wondering if you were looking at any opportunities out there uh, in, in regards to um, investing in distressed assets. Uh, I've noticed that rates have gone up and a lot of operators like Western Wealth aren't cash flowing and are actually looking for more capital because they've gotten themselves into trouble. And uh, if rates stay higher than expected, there could be some some pretty good deals as far as uh, bailing folks out. Uh, so I wanted to get your thoughts on if you were looking for anything out there as far as funds or whatever um, to, to maybe create some opportunity here. Thanks, bud. Well, thanks for the question, Mike. Uh, the answer, well, let's start with this. Obviously, there's a lot of distress in the system right now. Interest rates have gone up at the steepest slope in American history. And as you might expect, that has not been good for operators, particularly those who relied heavily on floating debt. You know, and this is important, I think, to understand what's going on a little bit, because you might be wondering why in the world would you use floating debt anyway? Well, if it's a long-term hold, it never would really make sense to do that kind of short-term debt. However, and with these larger assets, the problem is fixing debt. If your plan is to, you know, ultimately sell um, in, you know, 18 to 24 months, you are going to end up with an extremely high prepayment penalty. And so in those situations, the extremely short hold or the shorter hold models, you know, generally ran on floating rates. So if you're, again, your business model uh, is to get in and out uh, in 18 months, it doesn't make sense to lock in the rates. So um, obviously now uh, we're better off if we had, um, but everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Uh, that is from Mike Tyson, not from me. But uh, that's uh, that's kind of what's uh, happening across the board here, especially for floating rates. And as for looking into creating um, this fund, uh, which, you know, maybe you call it a rescue fund or something like that, That uh, the answer, uh, whether I, I think that that's uh, potentially something to do is, well, yeah, it's, it's certainly something to consider. And I have thought about it. Uh, these are essentially these sort of uh, uh, preferred equity positions. Uh, essentially, you become the lender. So there's not like any tax benefits or anything like that. But so, you know, I have thought about this. But but before doing anything like that, I want to make sure you know, the economics makes sense for everyone. Against Again, perhaps one of the most appealing parts of this fund might actually to be uh, getting into some second positions and maybe be first in line if the property fails and, and you know, or is distressed and needs to be taken over. But um, I really need to think about it because I also want everyone to have as much dry powder as possible because, again, it is no fun to be in this environment. And those people who are going to make money are going to be the ones that have, like, nerves of steel that you know are okay to feel like okay i'm losing some money on one hand but there's an opportunity to buy distressed assets on the other side and that's where real money's made and again it's a psychological uh, thing that happens in every cycle and the key is to try to keep your wits about you and learn your you know learn whatever lessons you have 
to learn and move on and deploy. I certainly am not uh, one who has not learned uh, from this experience myself. I absolutely have, and I think it'll make me a better investor going forward. Unfortunately, we're still in the midst of this uh, mess right now. But um, anyway, bottom line is the, the answer is yes, potentially. I've thought about it, and I think like those kinds of preferred equity, essentially debt, um, being in the second position behind the main lender, that is, uh, that's uh, potentially appealing. And certainly as an investor, I think it's appealing because essentially you're, you're in a lending position. You're not, you know, you're not in an equity position, so you're superior to the equity position. Hopefully that helps. All right, let's go on to the next question here. This one's from John. Hi, Buck. This is John Valentino. I listen to your excellent podcast every Sunday morning on my run walk and find them uniquely interesting and helpful amongst a sea of podcasts that aren't. Yesterday, you mentioned Terry Laughlin and your late-in-life swimming experience. I'm 68 now, and at 55, I decided to learn to swim. I researched all of Terry's stuff and ended up using a local swimming coach here in Fresno, California, who knew Terry and who had a lot of experience. He had me swimming, breathing, and flip-turning very quickly. Four years ago, when we visited Maui, I did a two-mile ocean swim with some master swimmers. I now swim about a mile and a half every Sunday with Rich, the swim coach that taught me, and I do that when I listen to your podcast. I'm sure we could get you swimming and breathing properly very quickly. Fresno is not too far from Montecito. Good luck with your swimming and let me know if you'd like me to hook you up with rich the swim coach well john thanks for that that makes for a lighter moment in this sea of despair ha 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 that's funny get it sea of despair uh he's swimming anyway for those of you who don't know what john is referring to uh i'll just take a minute um because you know taking questions from all kinds uh all types of questions here back in 2016 I think it was 16. I listened to Tim Ferriss podcast about how he spent his whole life trying to swim and unsuccessfully until he met up a guy, met up with a guy named Terry Laughlin who taught his uh, total immersion technique or TI. So I decided, well, gosh, you know, basically Tim Ferriss was talking about my story, like to spend his entire, like, you know, didn't learn to swim as a little kid. And then all of a sudden trying to catch up and no one could teach him. And, that was kind of where I was. I did like numerous like tries at it back in my 20s and then 30s. And then I kind of had given up. So then I contacted Terry. He was in New York, upstate New York. So he actually flew out there. I was in Chicago at the time. And he taught me to swim in about two to three hours. And it was really unbelievable to me. And the only thing I didn't learn how to do during that visit was to breathe. And unfortunately, that was so that was like I was there for like a day and a half. And that, that was the part I, I didn't get to. So now I can swim, but only as long as I can hold my breath because I can't seem to, you know, I can't breathe and swim at the same time. Um, unfortunately, Terry had end-stage cancer when I saw him. And I believe I was his last student before he died a couple months later. Uh, and he'd actually stopped teaching for a while, um, you know, before I got to be the lucky one that he decided he had enough strength to go back for, uh, so lucky for me. So, um, but yeah, I would love to, you know, John, shoot me an email, you know, where I am at bucketwealthformula.com. Connect me to your guy. I'm, I think Fresno might be a little far, but if he's as good as Terry, maybe I could, maybe I could learn to breathe in a day too. So, Hey, uh, 
Anyway, uh, thanks, thanks for that. Uh, let's go on to the next question here. All right, this one's from, I think it's Garima. Hi, Buck. This is Garima, and I am looking to become a real estate professional status. We've been doing real estate for a little bit, but wanted to do this. I really need help. If you can guide me. Well, let's see. Uh, well, I, um, I don't know. Um, I can well, do my best. How about that, Garima? Um, first of all, I have to preface this, as I always do, that what I'm about to say is not legal or any kind of tax advice. I'm not a tax professional. My degree is in medicine. Uh, I'm a former board-certified surgeon, but that doesn't qualify me for much in this, <laughs> in this arena. It's just my understanding of the tax law, uh, which, you know, I, I spent a fair amount of time thinking about, so it's not like what I'm saying uh, should not, be uh, listened to, I, I think. But on the other hand, uh, the liability issues, I have to make very clear. Consult with your own tax professional before anything. Anyway, so again, probably the best thing I can do in terms of guiding you is tell you what I know about the qualification as a real estate professional status. And by the way, I should also point out that the benefits that I'm going to uh, talk about, there's a lot of the similar benefits without having the status uh, in short-term rentals. And that episode, I believe, is 354. So go back and listen to that one. It's I, I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, episode. But why is Grima talking about this REP, short for Real Estate Professional? So everyone is on the same page. What is the real estate professional designation? Why is it useful? Well, a real estate professional is not the same thing as in a real estate agent or a real estate broker, which are basically involved with real estate transactions. They're involved as like the middleman, right? That's not really the business of real estate. A real estate professional is someone who is who's materially involved with the business of owning an operating business. And the reason that this is important, we'll get to in a minute, but I'm going to go into the qualification parts of this. And um, again, I'm not uh, giving you advice. I'm basically telling you what uh, I can gather from the IRS website. And basically the material participation is one of the first things. So you can't, you can't be a limited partner in a bunch of real estate uh, and call yourself a real estate professional. You have to have some activities that are truly owning uh, and uh, you know operating real estate. I mean, you have to be involved in the management operations of your rental properties, right? Um, so the level of involvement is different than obviously if you know, even if you have a property manager, or whatever. It's 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 still going to be more active than if you're just a limited partner, but. Another one of the things that you have to um, qualify for is you have to spend more than 50% of your total working hours in real estate activity. So in other words, if you, you know, if you've got a full-time job, you're, you can't really qualify as a real estate professional. And it has to be more hours than any, than any other profession, right? Your participation in real estate activities uh, have to exceed anything else that you're doing in terms of uh, business and employment. There's also something called a 750-hour test, which you must spend at least 750 hours per year on real estate activities. 
And um, these, some of these things that you can do include property management or rent collection or maintenance or advertising, other related issues, acquisitions, underwriting, et cetera. I mean, there's, um, there's a lot of things that, you know, once you own real estate, um, you can be, you know, you're an active owner, right? So anyway, that's that. So why would you want this designation? Because it sounds onerous to go and try to make sure you've got all these things uh, if, if you're not already doing it. Well, as you may know, the real estate income itself, that real estate income itself is considered passive income, right? And similarly, the losses from real estate in the form of depreciation are considered passive losses. For most people, those passive losses cannot be applied to any active income, right? So if you have an income of $500,000 and you know, you happen to have $500,000 of, you know, depreciation or paper losses, you couldn't use those losses to offset your personal active income. The reason is that one is active and, and one is passive. So you can't do that, unfortunately, unless, unless maybe you or your spouse, rather, with whom you file jointly, is a real estate professional. So in this case, what would happen is those passive losses from real estate would become activated. In other words, they're active losses and you can, you know, you can offset anything with active losses, right? And even W-2 income. So that's the idea. So again, theoretically, check with your legal, you know, and tax people and hopefully they're, they know what they're talking about. But see, if you're a, say if you're a doctor and you're making, again, $500,000 and all of a sudden the spouse, uh, your spouse is a, who's a real estate professional has generated maybe, uh, you know, maybe $50,000 in income, but $300,000 of paper losses, you can deduct that $300,000 from the salary uh, that is earned income on the doctor's side. So basically, that is what the huge big deal is about this real estate professional status. I, again, I'm not a tax professional, but um, this is something that a lot of people in our group do, and uh, it is uh, you know following the tax code. That's the, that's the key. So, Garima, bottom line is, uh, uh, I don't know how else I can guide you other than to give you information, but, um, you know, I guess what I would do if I were you is, you know, try to figure out how you can actually you know, get yourself qualified as a real estate professional and make sure that, you know, you fit those criteria and, and talk to your, your tax person about it. Okay, next question is from Mark Hammonds. Mark says, uh, this question deals with tax law, and I'm not sure it's appropriate for this forum. Feel free to pass on if you feel like addressing it. Well, <laughs> it's another question. Well, you know how I feel about that. I'll, I'll tell you what I think, but don't take it as uh, tax advice in any sort of way. But, okay, so here's the Here's the question uh, Mark's asked. He says, I'm a partner in an LLC that was formed for residential development. Our project is nearing completion, and this year I will take business income to be taxed at 20% LLC rate. I will receive income 
uh, from the sale of raw land and taxed as long-term capital gains. I'm a full-time physician and not actively involved in the business of land development. Can I offset any of this income with accumulated passive losses? Uh, And he says, thanks, Buck, for all you do. Thank you, Mark. And well, as you may have gathered from the previous uh, question and the answer that I, I gave Garima, you are a full-time physician, my friend, and therefore you do not qualify as a real estate professional, and therefore you cannot uh, you, you cannot use those passive losses against your active income as a physician, uh, and you are stuck in you know that uh, that uh, stratification of income hell which is that you've got these great looking losses on the passive side and these great income uh, uh, on the active side and you cannot do anything about it. So now if your wife was doing this real estate stuff and qualified as a real estate professional based on the criteria I mentioned earlier, then you would theoretically be able to apply those passive losses to active income and boom, all of a sudden you would have uh, what it is you were hoping for. And uh, anyway, but I do have people in our group who are literally, you know, w- with with that spouse set up. Well, that's why I brought it up, right? Where they've literally had a spouse quit their job so that they can switch to real estate professional status. And although their cash flow may constitute a theoretical, uh, you know, pay cut from their job, uh, the the generated losses, paper losses, uh, being applied to the larger active income stack there in many cases justifies that because they may make a, a total gross amount of income that's less, but because of those passive losses, they actually get to keep more. So that's a complicated uh, uh, answer to a simple question. Uh, in my non-professional opinion, Mark, you, you are kind of screwed. Can't do that. Anyway, all right. Uh, so the next series of questions is from Terry, and let's see, let's start with the first one. He says, uh, one, my understanding is there are U.S. dollars held overseas in the United States. Uh, what would be the impact to the value of the dollar if the overseas cash had to be converted to CBDCs, which is central bank decentralized uh, coins? So basically the a central, uh, you know, the uh, decentralized dollar token. Well, I'm no expert on this, but, uh, you know, in my, from what I know, I'm not sure it would have a material effect on anything overseas because as I understand CBDCs, it's a little more than using distributed ledgers instead of central ledgers for digital money, right? Because the thing is, you have to remember is that 90% of the U.S. dollars are digital only already. They do not exist in the physical world already. So what difference does it make if it's on a single ledger or if it's on a distributed ledger? I'm not sure that it does. As I understand it, the idea would be essentially to make it into like a software update almost, right, where the new digital currencies would be uh, CBDCs. But of course, I could be wrong and my understanding of the plan that uh, the U.S. has there is uh, could be wrong. I'm sure there's a, a larger plan eventually to use this uh, as a way of, of maximizing tax revenues and tracking people's spending and that kind of thing. But 
in the short term, I don't really see how it has repercussions for money overseas. But if somebody knows of something that would cause that, certainly email me, but I don't know that. Okay, this question is also from Terry. It says, rising interest rates have had an impact on existing multifamily uh, operators, and it seems like part of the multifamily model relies on interest rate value being lower than cap rates, that's correct, combined with the multiplier effect of low cap rates uh, for value-add projects. Do you see cap rates going up until interest rates come down? Uh, how high can cap rates go before the value-add model is no longer viable? Are rents still rising fast enough uh, to offset interest hikes? Okay, so... Yes, I do see cap rates going up. Uh, remember, in order for debt to make sense, the interest rates must be lower than the cap rate. So if your borrowing rate is 5%, then your cap rate needs to be uh, above that in order to have positive cash flow. Otherwise, you're amplifying your losses. That said, often, you know, you may have seen in some cases operators buying things um, and they'll consider buying things like that if there's an obvious thing that's going to drive up net operating income pretty quickly. Um, but right now, we are seeing uh, rising cap rates. Now, as for the value-add model being viable, I would say that, yes, the value-add model is viable in all interest rate environments and with all cap rates. Because remember, folks, real estate was not people didn't just start making money on on value add this has been around for some time right there are plenty of people who got rich off of value add real estate in the 80s despite double digit interest rates and double digit cap rates so what has created so much distress in this system is not the absolute interest rates it's the pace at which the interest rates went up they're the moving goalposts you see, every time you underwrite a property, you have to model in interest rates and reversion cap rates. And if rates are not stable, it's very difficult to underwrite. And that's why these real estate markets right now have been so illiquid. Uh, there really is no stable variables uh, to underwrite with, right? Like you got to have the goalposts. You got to know where the goalposts are so you can play the game, right? Um, once you have that stability, though, you can underwrite again. Um, and in value-add real estate, the money isn't made based on, you know, interest rates uh, being high or low, but it is made by ultimately creating a positive uh, delta in the net operating income. And that can happen in all interest rate and cap rate environments. So I don't see it being an end, an end of value at real estate at all. In fact, one could argue that if you're, okay, say you're buying real estate, which hopefully we are in the fall, um, and you're, you're getting great deals on it and, you know, the rates are high, but the numbers are making sense. Um, you do your normal net, net operating income. You do your normal value add program. You try to increase NOI, um, your, your net operating income and you get lucky. And by the time you're ready to sell interest rates have actually come down. Well, in that case, you're going to actually probably get, you know, more for your property uh, than, than you would otherwise if rates were stable. So I actually don't see this as uh, something that is ending anything. In fact, I think those who, again, take advantage of a higher rate environment and buy into you know assets that make sense at high interest rates could, could seriously make money 
in the next, you know, several years. So let's see. Um, and the, the last question from Terry is, what are your thoughts on portfolio allocation between uh, real estate, stocks, cash value, insurance, gold, crypto, and cash? Well, I might not be the best person to ask about portfolio allocation because I think my portfolio would make most money managers faint, right? I'm about 75% real estate, maybe 5 7% crypto, mostly Bitcoin and Ethereum. And the remaining investments are things that I believe are uncorrelated. Um, and you start with that for the most stable thing. As you know, I'm a big fan of cash value life insurance in part because, man, it is so stable. I mean, seriously, it is incredibly stable. And if you look at the environment that we're in right now, it makes you, again, think, should be buying more cash value life insurance. It's extremely stable. And this is why it was such a big deal during the Great Depression. People who lived through the Depression, they had like no faith in anything except for cash value life insurance, which is what they were buying. But um, anyway, I think in particularly, um, I'm talking about these strategies that we're calling wealth formula banking or various leveraged IULs, um, wealth accelerator, things like that. So there's that. Um, I'm also obviously into other things that we have in our group or involved with like ATMs, which, you know, don't seem to have much correlation with, uh, with the economy per se, because people who use that still need it in good times or bad and they did well, even through COVID. Um, you know, there's also things that we were doing, like I'm invested in things like, you know, cargo ships uh, that are delivering, uh, you know, uh, essential oil and gas to countries, things like that, where, again, it's not something that is um, significantly correlated with the rest of the markets. And I think that's one of the things to to really make sure that you're not. I mean, I, listen, I, I guess in my case, um, being 75% real estate, I mean, it's not a good time to be 75% real estate right now, right? I, I probably... I mean, if I did the numbers, I'm probably less than 75% real estate now because I've probably lost quite a bit, um, lost a, quite a bit of value in the real estate, but I'm not even going to look at that right now for this purpose. But ultimately, though, you know, listen, personal finance should be personal. Uh, I don't uh, own stocks, um, although I'm not against stocks. I'm just, you know, not a guy who really owns stocks except for some big, really, you know, asymmetric plays and the uh, energy space, you know, through Marin Katusa and things like that. I don't own any physical gold, although, again, I've talked about possibly wanting to do that. Um, I don't really want to right now, but I'm hoarding cash right now because I think there's going to be tremendous buying opportunities in real estate with distressed assets, and I think that's going to be the name of the game in Q4. So, but again, I do not uh, do not think it's a good idea to listen to me <laughs> about portfolios. Uh, I think I think it's if you want uh, those kinds of things that you probably should you know talk to talk to others, talk to you know um, RIAs, things like that. Um, but uh, I, to me, again, personal finance is really personal, and for me, I'm you know I'm pretty aggressive on some of the things that I have uh, a lot of belief in. So. Okay, well, I guess that's my last question. Before I go, 
I want to um, remind you that there's another actually there's actually another podcast that I do now, which is you know it's it's kind of just taking something that I was spending a lot of time learning about and and um, and trying to process myself and turning it into another show so that I could share with you. The show is called Sapio, uh, S-A-P-I-O. You can find it on pretty much all of the ways that you find this show. And uh, hopefully on YouTube soon, too. We haven't quite gotten to YouTube, I think. But uh, the show is, I think, very interesting because, you know, we talk about uh, wealth on this show. But, I mean, the, the you know, what do, what is more... What's more coveted than, you know, actually having health because then your wealth is actually useful. So a lot of Sabio is really about uh, various types of longevity and wellness type stuff. Uh, the science that we know out there, really interesting stuff to me and uh, would love for you to check it out. Um, again, it's Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Check it out and let me know if you like it. Give me a positive review. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.